Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This Black History Month, we are having conversations about the contributions of Black New Yorkers. And it's fitting that a new exhibition at the Met is taking a comprehensive look at an artistic movement that is often overlooked, the Harlem Renaissance. According to the Met, this new show is the first survey of the Renaissance in, in a New York museum in almost 40 years. The exhibition displays the work of iconic but also lesser-known Black artists who contributed to the, quote, New Negro Movement, as it was known in the 1920s, poets, painters, playwrights, and photographers. To name a few, we see works from Langston Hughes, James Vanderzee, and Aaron Douglas. We learn how the Renaissance developed in the early 20th century right here in Harlem as millions of Black Americans came north as part of the Great Migration to escape the Jim Crow South. The Met sourced some pieces in the show from Black institutions like HBCUs and also Black families, as work from the Harlem Renaissance is less present in the collections of major museums. The Harlem Renaissance and Transatlantic Modernism is opening at the Met on Sunday. With us now to talk about it is curator Denise Murrell. Morell. Did I say that right, Denise? That sounds right to me. Okay, you, good. <laughs> so glad you're here, Denise. Um, so first, for folks who, you know, most people kind of have a squishy idea about what they think the Harlem Renaissance means and where it exists in time and space. So just give us kind of the nutshell version of what we mean when we talk about Harlem Renaissance. Well, what we mean when we're talking about the art of the Harlem Renaissance is this uh, kind of explosion of creativity uh, that kicked off in the middle of the 1920s, ran through the 1940s, more or less. And uh, it's... Essentially, it was the first African-American-led movement of modern art and the first time that in a broad-based way, uh, Black American artists were also situated within international modernism. So, uh, and as you said, it emanated from the uh, new Black cities uh, like Harlem that were taking shape during the Great Migration. Uh, it was uh, it, it, the artists were working very closely with and had had longstanding friendships with the writers, Langston Hughes, you mentioned, also Zora Neale Hurston, W.E.B. Du Bois, and uh, Alain Locke were very major thinkers who were uh, the foundational philosophers in some ways of this movement, and then. There were there was jazz. This was the jazz age uh, uh, in New York City, and a lot of the jazz age was playing out uptown in Harlem. And as the title of the exhibit indicates, it's not just the United States that experienced this Harlem Renaissance. It is a transatlantic transatlantic movement. It is a trend. It, it is first a nationwide movement. Uh, the Harlem Renaissance, as you pointed out, was initially referred to as the New Negro Movement, and this was self-referential. The artists and writers themselves, based on a landlock's 1925 book, The New Negro, uh, and there were always artists. Uh, it emanated from a circle uh, very close to Locke in New York City: uh, Aaron Douglas, Charles Alston. Uh, 
Augusta Savage and others, but there were always very major artists from Chicago, like Archibald Motley, from Pennsylvania, Laura Willow Waring and others, as well as the West Coast and points in between. The reason, one reason why the movement uh, can't, should be thought of as within an international context is that almost all of these artists spent extended periods of time uh, living and working in Europe, primarily France, Paris and the south of France, but also the UK and Northern Europe. And they very much saw themselves uh, as part of international modernism. And uh, there, wa there were affinities, uh, there were actual collaborations, uh, and they um, knew about and worked with, wanted to be seen as uh, the peers of European modernists, like Picasso, Matisse, specifically named by Alain Locke, as European artists who were working with African aesthetics and making non-stereotyped uh, portraits of the international African diaspora. Mm. So it, this is not the first, we mentioned, you know, in the open here that it's been 40 years or so since any major museum in the city has taken <clears throat> excuse me taken on the Harlem Renaissance um it's not the first time that met has taken it on or taken on african american culture specifically an exhibit in 1969 called Harlem on my mind heavily criticized with pickets and protests i'm just wondering no need to relitigate all of that but i'm wondering how that experience institutional experience played in your mind as you were pulling this new exhibit together? Well, it was something that I began to think about once I arrived at the Met in, in uh, January 2020, but I'd been working on a Harlem Renaissance before I came to the Met. I did an exhibition at Columbia University, uh, Posing Modernity, the Black Model from Manet to and Matisse to Today in 2018 and 19. And the middle section of that exhibition was the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, and I was also showing the, uh, the new Negro artists in direct juxtaposition with the modernists like Matisse uh, who were making these wonderful portraits, these uh, uh, portraits that really just moved away from racial stereotyping of Black French uh, subjects and Black uh, Dutch and British subjects. So uh, it's... Uh, so it's something that I had been working on. And when I came here, I wanted to do a Harlem Renaissance show. I felt that the Met, uh, one of the things I learned about working on it before is that the Met was uh, the one institution, the one museum that could bring together all the disparate threads of where the collections were, the nationwide aspect of the movement, but also the international side of it. And so uh, in that context, of course, uh, the Met is very aware of Harlem on my mind um, and the critique of that, the, the well-deserved critique of, of that exhibition, which was essentially, it wasn't even about the Harlem Renaissance. It was about Harlem, so to speak, but it was totally from the perspective of people from outside the community. There were no, well, okay, not totally. Uh, there were no African-American painters or sculptors. Um, I think there were even statements of the fact that there's no fine art, so to speak, 
but the exhibition did include work by the uh, leading the uh, Harlem Renaissance photographer, James Vanderzee. Uh, it was displayed in ways that were much more aligned with what you'd see in an ethnographic or a national na uh, natural history museum uh, without the careful framing and spotlighting and um, uh, 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 labels and so forth that we've done with the Vanderzees that we have in our show. But the Vanderzees that are in our show are one of the legacies. If there's a silver lining in Harlem on my mind, it is the fact that it revived Vanderzees' career. He was very active in the 20s through the 30s. His career had begun to flag a bit. Uh, the controversy brought that uh, career back to some attention. And a couple of years ago, uh, we bought 20,000 prints and negatives of Vanderzee uh, in a, a partnership with the Studio Museum in Harlem. So we are showing some of the Vanderzee photographs uh, from that archive, newly acquired archive, for the first time and offering uh, the beginnings of interpretation and research about this body, this incredible body of work. So, so going after and acquiring the work of Vanderzee really was a, a result of that first Harlem on My Mind exhibit? I'm not going to say, and I, I was not involved in that, that would right. be our photography department, uh, but I think that one of the factors that even brought the Vanderzee uh, archive to the awareness of the Met and probably other museums, the Studio Museum had always been very involved with Vanderzee, but uh, I think that was one context. Mm -hmm. there, were, there were undoubtedly other factors as well that led to that uh, fantastic acquisition. I, I'm curious about the Met's priorities when it comes to collecting works from African-American artists. Um, you mentioned the Met had the ability to really go out, and I know you went out personally to some HBCUs to look at artwork um, and pulled in artwork from Black families. I'm curious what that might say about the priorities for the institution up to this point that um, you know, we're, we're looking outside for that work as opposed, as opposed to looking inside for it. Well, that's, uh, that's true. And that's one of the reasons why uh, there hasn't been uh, a New York City art museum exhibition about the Harlem Renaissance since uh, the Studio Museum did their exhibition in 1987, a very important exhibition uh, and a major resource for us for, for this show. Uh, but the Met, uh, you know, essentially didn't, wasn't very interested in that work until recent decades. There's been some, uh, the beginning of what I hope will be an ongoing and expanded effort to uh, to collect this work. Uh, uh, we have the exhibition as one way of surfacing, uh, developing an understanding of where the work is and what could fit within the museum's self-described uh, uh, mandate to be an encyclopedic museum. Uh, my position is that you can't really have a complete collection of American art pre-1950 or even international modern art if you don't have very significant holdings by the Harlem Renaissance artists. I mentioned you went to some of the HBCUs. They Generally speaking, those colleges don't have a lot of resources to put toward putting their collections online for you. So you had to go actually physically to the university to take a look at some of these artwork, you know, some of these I, pieces that you brought in. Yes, yes. Um, and also, 
you tapped families on the shoulder and said, is there something? So I'm, I'm curious about this, uh, the story behind the work of Laura Wheeling, Laura Wheeler Waring. And if yes. you can just tell us a little bit, because I find that very fascinating. It is, because Laura Wheeler Waring was one of just a few women artists who were at the center of the Harlem Renaissance uh, movement. She was doing cover illustrations for the NACP's Crisis magazine from the very early 20s, I think even the late teens on, uh, at the uh, having been commissioned by the then editor, the uh, highly esteemed W.E.B. Du Bois. And uh, just as it, uh, those commissions to be on to do cover illustrations for the crisis, for opportunity, and so forth, helped to fuel the advance the careers of other artists like Erin uh, 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 Douglas. Uh, Laura Willowering gained visibility profile, even though she wasn't living in New York. She was based, she was from Philadelphia. She was teaching at a uh, historically black NHBCU in, in, uh, in Pittsburgh. But she has a body of work from the late 40s or the mid 40s is quite well known when she was commissioned by the National Portrait Gallery together with another artist to do a series of portraits of African-American luminaries. Uh, James Weldon Johnson, uh, uh, the one that we are just incredibly thrilled to have in our show is uh, Larger Than Life, uh, a magnificent portrait of Marian Anderson and a beautiful red performance um, gown uh, that commemorates the fact that she was in 1939, uh, she was uh, rejected. Uh, her contract to give a concert at the Daughter of the Daughters of the Irre American Revolution in Washington. Uh, they had apparently engaged her based on in an incredible reputation she had in Europe, but when they found out she was Black, they canceled. So Eleanor Roosevelt, the then First Lady, arranged for her to give a concert on the of Lincoln Memorial, and that was an historic event on all levels. So she did have that body of work, but she had also made literally dozens of portraits of African-American women from all walks of life, and those remained in the family's collections. Uh, the great, she has two great nieces, um, well, one is of the husband, and the other is uh, her own direct great niece. And I met them when they, when uh, Roberta Graves, uh, who's, who, uh, one of the nieces, Roberta Graves, came to see a Laura Willow wearing I'd borrowed from the Smithsonian in my 2018 show in, uh, at, at Columbia. And that began this multi-year uh, uh, period of uh, periodically meeting, looking at photos of her collection, mm. visiting her home and seeing these dozens of paintings. It's mm. like, it's kind of like what we who, you know, become art historians want to do in art history, seeing all these magnificent paintings that have never been published in many cases before. And in some cases, even helping to date them, going back and doing the archival research and so forth. And then her niece in Chicago, uh, uh, Roberta Graves here, uh, who's New York based, introduced me to Madeline Murphy Grab, uh, the niece in Chicago. And then the three of us just over the next three, two to three years, uh, uh, just worked together to, they gave me complete access to see the works, 
we went back with conservation, uh, uh, with a conservation team from the Met to look at some of the conservation that we needed to do, not a whole lot. They had done a great job of keeping these works in excellent condition, but we did bring several of them into our conservation studios. And uh, so we're just really happy. We're gonna have, I think, five uh, portraits in total from the family's collections. And I've been elated. We chose to place one of them on the cover of the catalog. Mm -hmm. And I've just been really elated to see how other um, uh, observers, the press and uh, marketing people and so forth have picked up on both of these portraits from a checklist of 160 works total. And uh, and they tend to be in the top 10 works that anybody's looking at. Mm. So to the extent we want to make new icons, this has been a great story. We think that these works are being embraced very widely by the public. So the the exact Exhibit is going on now, right? Yes. And goes through? July 28th. It has an unusually long run of five months. Yes. And we want to do a lot of public programming and make sure that we are reaching every uh, 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 nook and cranny of New York City (laughs) and inviting the broadest possible public to come and see this show. It's it's a show that is about, I mean, it's this uh, part of the history and the art history of African-Americans, but also just American history in the same way we wouldn't think about jazz, uh, think about American music without thinking about jazz. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a gaping hole to not be thinking about the art of these uh, artists uh, as we're thinking about Hopper and Stieglitz and the other better known names. Denise, we're going to have to leave it there and you're going to have to just go see the exhibit. Denise Morell, curator at the Met. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radiolab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.